Welcome to the North Texas District Leadership Podcast. This is a resource from and for those of us serving Jesus with the North Texas District of the Assemblies of God. So hello, friends. I hope that you're doing well today, wherever you're listening to this. Hope you're enjoying the Lord, you're spending time with good friends, and that you've got your uh, you got your hand to the plow. Today's episode, we'll go right into it. I want to call it, Can Small Groups Really Work in the Local Church? If you've been in ministry long enough, it could be that for you, small groups have been a bit of a fad that you might have seen come and go. Uh, You might think of it as something that can be powerfully effective among college students or maybe in one of the Korean countries, but hopelessly difficult to establish among American adults. So my hope is that today's conversation might cause you to give small groups another look. I'm here today with a longtime acquaintance. I've seen him a million times for a few minutes at each time. I'm here with Kyle Volkmer. Kyle is a teaching pastor and head coach of small groups at Gateway in San Antonio. And so if you haven't heard of Gateway, I I usually don't pump stats or anything on the podcast, but um, Gateway is an Assemblies of God church that's actively planting other churches and uh, reaching thousands of people with a small group emphasis. And so Kyle, uh, my guest today, is the author of These Things, a reference manual for discipleship, which is related to our topic today because it's really about the basics of Christianity and preparing a small group leader to teach them. So Kyle, after all that blubber, how are you doing? Doing really good. Very honored to be here today. First thing I'd like to say is I'm so grateful for North Texas's investment in Chi Alpha Campus Ministries. That's the ministry in which I came to the Lord in. Mm-hmm. And so if it wouldn't have been for North Texas churches investing in the Chi Alpha Ministries, I would not probably in all reality know Jesus. And so I'm grateful for the North Texas uh pastors and their investment. Kyle, something you you probably know, uh, a lot of our listening pastors may not know, there's more cross-pollination right now between North and South Texas Chi Alpha than ever before. Our students are with each other at retreats, they're going on missions trips together, and the influx of missionaries and, and young pastors that are going to come out of all this over the next few years is pretty incredible, I think. Yes, I, I just got a report from great missionary on the field, Jonathan Bryce in North Texas. He's in College Station. That's right. He was telling me over 400 students went to a conference, I think just last weekend, and there were many students received salvation. Some students were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then other students were actually healed. There was divine healing that went through the services. And so just an amazing, our four cardinal doctrines right there, salvation and healing. Mm-hmm. And the baptism of the Spirit until Jesus returns. And so it's exciting to see the next generation coming up underneath and undergirding and then pastors blessing and encouraging and financially supporting such a great work. And so I'm privileged to be a part of both of these worlds. And so the church and Chi Alpha and seeing how they go together and mutually enhance each other and how it's really the same thing. Just a matter of, uh, you know, one wears flip-flops and one wears neckties. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. You know, with I'm glad I'm glad you said that because by way of introduction, I wanted you to talk some about your years in, in Chi Alpha. Vocationally, you were with Chi Alpha for over a decade, and um, you still got a foot in that world. But tell us a little bit about uh, what your current assignment for the Lord looks like, and I guess explain more of what uh, you know, hat you wear in the local church, even though uh, you're a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> oh, you know, I've been called many things, but a Swiss Army knife is not one of them. So, uh, after a decade of being at UTSA, coming from Sam Houston, I was a Sam Houston uh, alumni and graduate. That's where I got saved, and Eli Gotro was thundering the gospel, and this this rebellious, backslidden, agnostic kid 
couldn't stop crying three mm. days before Easter. And that was many, uh, was many years ago, but then I was just like, I'm in, I'm in. I, I went to San Antonio with my best friend, a carpenter who discipled me for 10 years. We just loved on college students and made disciples. We preached, we discipled, and we evangelism discipleship are two sides of the same coin. I remember Kurt Harlow telling me that a long time ago. And so we just evangelized and discipled and God gave the increase. And we have seen thousands of college students come to know Jesus by now. And the yes, ministry, you have. Uh, the ministry is doing very well. It's the, the campus is planting uh, other campuses now in South and, and, and Carolina and in New York and Auburn. It's just amazing. You know, UT Arlington and North Texas is on the block. So please, mm-hmm. pastors, if you're hearing this, you're going to see a spirit-filled Ryoto Yogo Japanese man who's full of God come your way. Shake his hand and support what he's doing because this is continuing to increase. And so I had a decade of just incredible favor from the Lord. And this whole time throughout that decade, I was also in the church every Sunday in the same church. See, I was not the nationally appointed missionary. I was just a missionary associate. I'm done set up and tear down and childcare and, and uh, basically done associate pastor roles and teaching pastor roles and small group pastor roles and research and street preacher evangelist roles. And just, I've, I've, if there's a seat in the bus, I've sat in most of them except the driver. I've never been the lead, and nor have I ever wanted to be the lead. Mm-hmm. God, God has specifically told me to help help and undergird the church, and so mm-hmm. it's been a it's been a wonderful decade of being involved in college ministry and also being fully involved in the church. And so now I've been transitioned into full time, twenty four seven training pastors building up new pastors to do what God has done here. And it's just a honoring and a wonderful opportunity. I'm really excited about it. So ta- you talked about training pastors and describe the place of small groups in the life of your local church. Just how big of a deal are small groups at Gateway? Okay. So we always say this Gateway is not a church that has small groups. It's a church of small groups. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, we don't really like silos as in small groups is a division of what we do. It's the backbone and heart of what we do. I I have found that discipleship cannot be delegated. It starts with the top. It starts with the the lead pastor. If the lead pastor has a heart for discipleship and investing and, and others and training them into Christian maturity and teaching them to invest in others, we always say what God does in you, he wants to do through you. If that pastor catches that vision, then there will be discipleship in the church. Specifically, respectfully, but specifically in the assemblies of God, as the lead pastor goes, so goes the church. We have very much a lead pastor structure. We are not an elder movement. We are not a uh, Presbyterian or Episcopalian leadership structure. We're very much a lead pastor structure. And Mm -hmm. so it it puts a very strong importance on the lead pastor embracing and modeling discipleship for his congregation. That's really true. 
the filter down effect of that, whenever a pastor can say uh, something to the effect of, you know, in say the large group gathering in our small group last night, we were praying about this and this happened. That has more of an effect on congregational buy-in than the most skilled of payroll youth pastors announcing small groups for the church. It really, it really does stir up the congregation. If the wins, as I call them, or the celebrations are that of the pastor leading men and discipling men and those men planting churches and those men advancing the kingdom, that is just, you get what you celebrate. Mm-hmm. And so it just trickled down. Like you said, it all starts with the lead pastor. For the lead pastors listening to this, Please don't delegate discipleship. Mm. Don't dump it on your associate pastor and say, this is your responsibility. Right. I, I know that's strong language, but the reason I say that is because you, you need to speak with what I call moral authority, mm-hmm. which is don't do what I say, but do what I do. Right. And so we, as, as we are to be examples to the flock of God. Well, the, the end result of, or an end result of that and what you're saying in terms of pastoral example is a higher degree of responsibility and pastoral leadership from your average man or woman in the congregation. I noticed earlier you, you posted from J. Oswald Sanders, and I love what he says. He says, a passion for souls is rare among church members today. The great mass of Christian people feel not the slightest responsibility for the souls of their fellow men, it never so much as dawns on them that they are their brother's keeper. If they can manage to save their own souls, that is the end of their concern. And what you guys are are seeing, and I know what is your heart, is yes, Pastor, you embrace discipleship for yourself, and if you will do it, that uh, dad of a young three children or that grandfather in the church, they will do it as well. They will also pursue and serve and love and lead people. Absolutely. The great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, once said, the key to evangelism, the key to soul winning is catching one fish. And so if, if, if you ever make one disciple in your life, you're hooked. You literally are reproducing yourself. Pastors, I know, are usually overworked, underpaid, underfriended. And so the fact that you can literally reproduce yourself, Talk about getting work done in the kingdom of God. You know, the Bible says we're to labor while it is day. And you're literally, it's like you have the ability to create workers through discipleship. So listening to this today, we're, we're talking about small groups. And so I, I picture perhaps somebody listening saying, yeah, we do small groups too. A marriage small group, softball small group. We have a fishing small group. What is a small group at Gateway? How long do they last? Do you have a demographic focus? What, what types of forms do they take? The purpose of our small group, starting off with purpose, is we have uh, a leadership pipeline. And the whole purpose of a leadership pipeline is you're not supposed to talk about it, but we very well have one. And so our small groups facilitate our leadership pipeline. So we want Mm -hmm. people to be invited. We want people to belong to a small group. We want them to believe and be baptized. We want them to become a volunteer, be trained, and be sent out. That's the, the, the funnel or the the pipeline that everything moves along. Mm -hmm. And so every person in the church, our heart and expectation for them is for them to be in a small group. We can't possibly provide the pastoral care that is necessary for our congregation apart from small groups. We treat our, we treat our small group leaders with a high respect and authority. They're the heroes of our ministry. 
is because they are they are the ones providing pastoral pastoral care and oversight and guidance and doctrinal uh, instruction are to our new converts, to to friends who are on the outskirts, to people who are even uh, not even believers yet. That we've seen so many people come to faith in small groups. So the structure. Let's. So mm-hmm. our small group leaders come from our small groups. We don't have a come one, come all, open up the floodgates. And we learned that lesson the hard way because we started that way uh, year one, and it was just disastrous. People weren't committed. There was not fruitful reproduction. And so we, we started training our leaders and modeling discipleship for our leaders rather than just saying, you're a leader, you're a leader, everyone's a leader. But we that's a, that's such an important point, and and we'll go ahead and throw that question at you to let you go a little more in depth on that of how Gateway identifies and trains new leaders because this is what I've seen not work, <laughs> you know, as far as uh, setting up a small group movement in a in a local church. Uh, one, it, it's always a little harder to reverse engineer than it is to build on from the start. But um, frequently, what'll happen is a church will say, uh, "We're going to start." small groups here. If you want to learn to be a small group leader, we're going to meet in the fellowship hall, you know, and we're going to do three, four weeks of training, which takes place in a large group lecture format to then reproduce something in a living room, which they haven't experienced or seen. And then also expectations and in any sort of life standard is hard to identify. If you haven't had someone discipling this person, they're willing. And a lot of churches make that mistake. And so we always start off by saying, go small, mm-hmm. go small, start small. This is a long haul investment that take, it takes exponential returns and it takes faithful commitment. This takes decades, friends. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for the quick, sexy fix, it's not going to happen. Like right. if you're wanting, if you're wanting something to put on the internet or if you're wanting to boast in numbers, that's not discipleship does not embrace the transient. You have to commit to the field, and you have to commit to the slow, steady increase. And so that's how it works. And so my my recommendation in that is the academic training, which is indispensable to discipleship, I think only makes up 20 to 30% of the entire thing. Mm-hmm. When I say that academic training, I mean training your leaders, going through the fundamentals, you know, whether you call it leadership training class or whether we call it H300, uh, you know, next steps class, small group training class, whatever class you call it, the Western German approach of academic religious instruction, they're only going to get 20 to 30 percent of their religious instruction. The rest of that 70 percent is what was modeled for them. Mm-hmm. They're going to do what was modeled for them rather than what they were taught. It's caught, not taught. Right. And so what happens is small group pastors and pastors make constant adjustments on curriculums and teachings, on the things that have handles, on the things that you can change, never knowing that the real root, the real problem is the modeling of life on life discipleship that is necessary. And so you see, you'll see pastors continuously change their curriculums continuously look for the next best thing and they're not understanding that it's the real life on life impartation and modeling that makes up the lion's share of of discipleship. So Chi Alpha is something near and dear to both of us. Small group discipleship is really the cornerstone of that fellowship. And so many pastors would love to see it work with career people and grandparents. 
So for the pastor who might simply say, yeah, all that works with college students who have all day and night to do life and life, you know, have coffee, study. I could see why that would work. But I have people that are working jobs. Their kids are in sports. They're stressed out. Um, what is different about small groups among adults in the local church? Like what, what constraints have you noticed? Like, yeah, this is a different ball game than college students, but what has enabled it to work anyway? That's a really great question. And for those who are transitioning from college ministry into church ministry and, and people who are trying to understand the differences, why is Chi Alpha so successful when I'm not seeing the same returns when I'm doing small groups? It's a common question. I get it about a, once a week. The answer to that question is remember this. Different stages of life, and there's perks for both. Now, in college ministry, all they have is time. Right. But they don't have wisdom, and they don't have money. Mm-hmm. And, so, we, and there's, so there's a limit to what can be accomplished. In church ministry, they don't have a lot of time. They work 40 hours. Some of them, average American works plus 40 hours, 50, sometimes 60 so and then there's soccer practice and PTA and there's there's just the onslaught of what happens when you have you know three kids running around the house and there's French fries in the minivan in the back seat. It's just yeah. it's just yeah. life. It just comes <laughs> at you. You've been so, observing my family. <laughs> and so there's life comes at you. But what you have to realize is that there's there's perks for both. Mm. Yes, you have the time in the collegiate environment, but you get longevity in the church. Four mm-hmm. years is four to five years, you know, six if you need help or you're from Sam Houston mm-hmm. <laughs> or you have to work your way through college. For, so the college environment, you only get them for four years. So it's like a compression of time. Someone can be in the local church until they're put in the ground and see Jesus. So you have the possibility to 20, 30 years with someone. Mm-hmm. So understanding that scope is so important that everything doesn't need to be done all at once that we're in it for the long haul. And so we just need to have slow, faithful investment in people in our church and not expect the same kind of, of a maturity over the three-year crash course that they get in the college environment. That was really helpful for me when I, not lowering expectations, but having realistic expectations to life cycle. Yeah, that makes sense. And because it also for the leader, both for the pastor and the small group leader, having that length of time is helpful for them, too, because they're not only pursuing people with busy lives, but they're in the midst of it themselves with kids and school and all of that kind of stuff. And and I'll mention another perk for discipleship in the church context. And we have seen this. It's very difficult for someone who is a college student, they get saved to bring their family in. Whereas when we see the father, specifically the father, come into the faith and thoroughly discipled, we see like a stringer effect, father, Mm. mother, son, cousin, aunt, grandpa, grandma. It's just like this exponential return. And then neighbors, other neighbors, other fathers, their friends, cousins, it's just like an exponential effect. And you don't usually see that in the Mm. college environment. And so people can sometimes say, why is it so fruitful here? It is also fruitful in the church environment if you can go after the Father, specifically targeting men, the leaders of the home for discipleship, and then you'll see great, great returns. So um, really nuts and bolts calendar question. Do you guys run small groups year-round? Do you run them sort of in semesters? What, What do you do? 
we uh, see there's no stop and start for discipleship because Jesus says, go make disciples. That applies to everyone. We even have seniors. We have our empty nesters. In fact, the longest running small group at our church at Gateway Fellowship is our seniors, senior ministries. They call the Great Forest Disciples. And they have they have the longest long. See, like we're talking about longevity. They've been after it a decade. Wow. So that's that they have the longest tenure of any small group. Mm-hmm. So literally, you keep them going year round. We we give a break. We give a summer break for a month. We give them a break in the summer, and we give them a Christmas break. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be a, a ten month cycle that's continuous. We're constantly developing our small group leaders because of the growth of the church. Small group leaders usually move into a coach role or a resource leader role after some fruitful uh, reproduction and discipleship. After they show there's some faithful and there's there's signs of life, then we, then we move them to the coach role, to the resource level role. Mm-hmm. So they can provide oversight for our coaches. So the structure goes as usually there's a coach and then there's five underneath the coach. That way the, the coach is able to provide oversight. We want everybody, you know, the two and four principle. We want someone responsible to someone and for someone, you know, the, the discipleship model. And that yeah. provides us uh, a great structure of, of safety that protects the tr- church doctrinally. It mm-hmm. protects the church from splits. It protects the church from uh, uh, from being burnt out. Yeah, yeah. Usually in a church, the faithful are asked over and over and over again. Right, right. But with, with the discipleship model and having two and four responsibility, it spreads out the responsibility, which is... As a pastor, what I think one of our number one responsibilities is, we're not to be the ministry, we're to facilitate ministry. We're to equip the saints for the work of their ministry, for the work of the ministry. And so we must view ourselves as equippers and not doers. So hard to to make that understanding because all of us are so passionate. We've been called into ministry. We're desperate to see God move in our communities. And so we'll just go. We'll work ourselves into death. But if we learn to impart, delegate, empower, and mm-hmm. and envision what God can do in other people and, and bring them to maturity through life on life investments, then we'll then we'll see it. Then we won't everything won't rest on us but we'll rest on a collective effort. Right. I, w- I was listening to, uh, I heard sometime back, uh, your your senior pastor's interview on the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. And so he talked some about the story of Gateway and um, the importance of small groups there. And so one important factor, I believe, in all of this, it's a backdrop to what you're talking about in terms of high responsibility for leadership. These uh, small groups continue to go on and on. A question that might come up in a typical pastor is like, how can you keep something like that going with when you have so many other things going on at the church? How is it even responsible, you know, et cetera? And one of the things I heard John say is that essentially small groups and worship, this is what you do. There are not 12 other weekly activities to get signed up for where we do keep tabbing on the faithful people and saying, and now will you come to this or will you sign up and facilitate this? Talk about the simplicity you know, we've been actually, because we're starting to become a little bit older every year, we experienced a, a radical explosion of growth in, mm-hmm. a, in, a, in an 18-month period. 
It was the Lord. It was a, it was God blessing and honoring His work here. And so it was just it was just God move, and we were privileged to be a part of it. We were just basically holding on and trying to ride the bull as long as we could ride it. Yeah, so we just, yeah. And so, but with that came a lot of people. So we really had to say, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to be about? And and thank God we chose discipleship, and that was the wisdom that. John received that we're going to be a, a discipleship focused church. And so that was what helped us get through that growth as we started training leaders. We ran our leadership training instead of once a year at that time, we yeah. were running it three times a year. It was ongoing. I, mean, I just felt like I would get up and teach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going, running, running it back. And it was a great time. But since since the growth has continued, it's, but it has plateaued a little bit. But during that time, we brought other, obviously, we would need to acquire new pastors. So other pastors came in, and they had a little different discipleship DNA. And so they brought in with them the ideas of the normal church having right. lo- lots of ministries. And so we kind of went from one really focused of having small groups as our soul focus like sodality as brockton would say on small groups mm-hmm. rather than we began to diversify and we had small groups and then we had freedom and recovery which is basically a uh, a hospital for those who have uh who are broken and hurting and suffering grief and 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 then there's going through addictions and going through a hard and then we had financial peace university came up marriage came up post-traumatic stress came up. And so we, we began to do the typical response to doing all the different ministries. Right. And so then we had to make the decision because then we began to see a loss of focus regarding our small group ministry and our, and, and the amount of reproduction or the amount of small groups being created. We saw the, the numbers start to decrease. And so then we said, okay, we've made a mistake. We've gotten away from what we started with. And so what we did then is we said, okay, these other ministries are noble and needed and godly, and there's great fruit from them, but they need to act as on-ramps to small groups. Okay, okay. Instance, like, so if you needed to go to the Freedom and Recovery, which is a needed ministry, the church needs to bind up the brokenhearted and, and to set the captives free. So... But then you weren't done with your freedom and recovery class until you were faithfully plugged into a small group. So mm. we made all ministries became on ramps for small groups. And that was a way that we could help and, and still provide what a normal church provides marriage counseling, yeah. freedom and recovery, uh, grief and post traumatic stress counts, all those different important ministries they were on ramps into the discipleship pipeline. That's really good. So youth ministry, kids ministry, um, do you guys have, I'm just firing out church questions now. Do you guys have a a Wednesday night worship service uh, specifically for youth or does some of that look somehow different in this context? Wednesday night service, uh, Christopher Reynolds, they call him chocolate bear. He's got a nickname, but he's a, a great, a great man of God who understands discipleship. And it's very encouraging knowing that from the very youngest age in our church till you graduate high school and then you move into Chi Alpha, 
we have small group for you. Wow. So, so how does that play out with the youngest so age? And okay. So I'll just tell you personally, I have two boys. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a seven year old and a five year old and they have a small group leader that is literally going through life with them. Hmm. Started off when they were young and it's literally year by year, they stay with them. And it's an incredible asset to me. Hmm. It's one of the things I'm most grateful for in this church that I have another godly voice in my son's life. So important. It's just amazing. Like sometimes I'll just, I'll just hug the man. His name is Luke. Who's investing in my son, Liam, because my son, Liam will say things about Jesus that I haven't taught him. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, that's so encouraging. Yes. Somebody investing in my son's life who I know prays for my son. You know, it's happening in the context of a Sunday, obviously because of minor laws, they can't be, you know, it's not the normal discipleship, but it's, it is happening. Right. there is spiritual investment and there's life on life impartation. And the things that Luke is excited about for Jesus, my little boy, Liam gets excited about. That's excellent. Well, Kyle, thank you, man, for this time. Now you, you have written a book and I wanted you to, uh, you didn't ask you could do this, but I want you to do this. Uh, you put a, together a wonderful resource called these things, a handbook for a reference manual for discipleship. Tell us a little bit about that and where we could find it. Well, this is the book. It's blue, and it's These Things by W.K. Volkmer. That's me, William Kyle. I've always gone by Kyle. I was asked if I could get the the discipleship, the core of what we are teaching our, our small group leaders, a way in a format that they could use as a reference. So I, do, I don't really like line upon line teach exactly this. Mm-hmm. I really believe in developing the discipleship in an individual to the point where they can create their own lesson on one of these fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to create a what I call a reference manual are the GPS coordinates. Right. And yes. I want to give you, okay, A.W. Tozer, C.S. Lewis, Leonard Ravenhill, mm-hmm. Chuck Missler, Ravi Zacharias. I want to give you some great, great what I call GPS coordinates for you to develop your own lesson. But that yeah. being said, I wanted to make sure that we were staying the teachings of Christ, the baptism of the Holy ghost. That's very important specifically in our context, because most people have no knowledge regarding the things mm-hmm. concerning the spirit of God. And so spiritual authority, the church, the ministry, prayer, worship, discipleship, evangelism, all of these fundamentals of the faith, we wanted to make sure that our church was focusing on those things. Paul tells Timothy, the things that you've heard in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will be able to teach others also. And we say, so what things? Well, we say these things. Right. Oh, that's, that's the good. Purpose of the book. And so it helps us stay, stay on the fundamentals 80% of the time. And 20% can be an auxiliary. You know, you can bring in a missionary. You can tell missionary biographies. You can pray for the lost world, but we need to be focusing on the fundamentals of the faith now more than ever as as our culture slides into a moral decline. We need to be the bastion of truth. We need to be the salt of the earth. 
That's right. Well, that's a good, I think that's a, a great way to end, Kyle. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, we're so thrilled with what the Lord's doing through and, and for you guys there at Gateway. And um, we're learning, learning all we can. So thanks for making yourself available to uh, to share what the Lord's doing there with the rest of us up here north of the South Texas District border. I'm just honored to be here. And if I could have a closing spicy remark. Do it. Ask pastors. Don't delegate discipleship. There you go. Well, friends, bless you this week as you uh, go about your business serving the Lord at whatever corner of his kingdom he's called you to. We love you. We're praying for you. Uh, Serve his bride well.